holding my chest, my legs and hands, silence, feeling the pressure. What? She was a fraud. It's a million bloody degrees out there. Oh, wind. I'm sorry if I said anything awful. Blessed lambs of God. Why hadn't he got up to chop the capsicums? I was never a good reader. Ah, Immaculately bland. Anyway, it looks like... What do we do with this now? You're not even supposed to use the word fat. Boys like girls. When we were very young... I was back home in Norwich. Square Sound. You're listening to the audiobook podcast for the makers and listeners of audiobooks. Hello and welcome again to the audiobook podcast, recorded here in the Square Sound booth in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Abby Holmes and together with Justine Sloan-Lees. Hi, Justine. Hello, we're here again. We discuss what goes on behind the stories in the production of audiobooks. So today we're going to talk about voice coaching and Justine and I both coach in voice. Justine is a lecturer at the Victorian College of the Arts School of Drama and trains the third-year acting students in voice and microphone technique for radio, voiceover, and especially audiobook narration. And along with all her work as an actor in film and TV, as a narrator and a highly in-demand voiceover artist for advertising, Ab's been coaching voices since 2004. You can find her online at voiceovercoach.com.au. Thanks, Justine. Abby runs workshops and trainings for beginners and those preparing to enter the industry, as well as for industry professionals who want to broaden their skill base and repertoire and learn how to do things like produce demos for themselves. So, let's start. So, Abby, what kind of people come to you for coaching for voiceover? Well, that is very broad, Justine, because people think you have to be a performer to be a voiceover artist, which you don't. I mean, I probably get maybe 20% of the people who initially make contact with me about getting into voiceover are performers who want to add voiceover to their repertoire. And being a trained performer doesn't necessarily convert into being a good voiceover artist Mm. because the two skills are so completely different. You know, voiceover is disembodied voice world. Acting is you're on a stage or you're on a set and you're inhabiting a world with lines you've learned and you're repeating out of your head. But voiceover is about working through a script. Yes. So the other 80% of the people are a variety of people who either come from a radio background, are musicians, singers, people who are interested in character voices, or people who work in the corporate world and hear a lot of non-broadcast kind of material out there and think that they could do it. Or they're asked as part of their job to do something within the company, yes. to voice the OHS video or to do the the interactive voice recording or the messaging. Or even just for presentations at conferences and that kind of seminars, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although I get less people who stand up presentation than who want to do recorded presentation. So first thing I do with people is really find out what it is they would like to achieve. The hardest thing is, Justine, and you would know this, is that when you're just talking to somebody in the room, 100%, you really have no idea how they're going to be with a script of any kind behind a microphone. You have no idea. The other thing that I don't know when I speak to somebody in the room is how their particular kind of voice works on the digital medium. Because some voices in a room are just sort of average, but you hear them on a microphone and hear them back digitally and think, oh, wow, that's actually a really great voice. There's something about a tone. I don't know that scientifically I could explain that. Would you know how to explain that? No, but I would also say something that I always say to my students is that different microphones 
work in different ways with different voices. And, for example, during my time at the ABC, if we were recording some beautiful poetry, we might actually try two different microphones and then decide which one best reflected what we wanted and what that brought out certain aspects of an individual's voice. Yeah, yeah. So I always tell that to my students so they don't freak out when they first hear their voice back because I say to them, with another mic, you might sound different. You might sound more like what you think you want to sound like. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So people also present with varying skill levels. I think the most difficult thing to overcome with anybody, people like the idea of reading. So a lot of people who come to me and want to do character voices, they have this natural gift for mimicking somebody Mm. and they were the kind of people who did the teacher's voice at school or can do all of their friends or do a canny version of somebody on television or whatever and they're quite good at it. But the thing often that these people lack, and that's coming straight out of their own propensity for good improvisation, if you like, if you give them a script, can they then work through the words and create a character that's believable? And often the answer is no, they can't. That's where they really struggle. And for all voiceover, What the struggle is, is looking at the script and working out what the script is asking you to do. And that really runs to, who am I going to be reading this script? And yeah, it's your voice, but it's not you. It's it's actually really driven by the script. And people often say to me, is this something you can teach? And sometimes I've thought, I don't think this person has got it. And they've come back to me in a couple of years and they've just about got it. And in fact, there was somebody who I recommended to do audiobooks and I thought, I just don't think he's got the sight reading skills. And I said, if you want to do audiobooks, you're going to have to start reading, pick up something, just read it, read it, read it. And eventually he got a job reading audiobooks. Are we talking about Liz? Yeah, Les, yeah. The wonderful Les Horovitch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's a delightful audiobook reader. He's fantastic, isn't yeah. it? And that is tenacity. You know, in the room, because he came to my initial sort of voiceover technique voice, I said, I don't know, I just don't know. I'm, I'm, but he did it. I mean, hats off. Let's listen to a sample of Les, actually. It isn't until the news that night that he hears what the sirens were all about. They found a newborn buried in the South Maroubra dunes just 50 metres from the surf club, scrub on both sides. A little corpse in a shallow grave. Awful it is. Some nippers found it during races on the beach. They'd not made the final round and were digging while they waited for the faster kids to finish running. Little fellas, not older than six or seven. Their parents thought it must be something else. A big fish, maybe. An old doll. But the kids were sure of it. Then it was police up and down the beach. The south end taped off. Autopsy kits beneath a police tent underneath the beating sun. There's a press conference with the police superintendent who tells a pack of journos that homicide detectives are helping local police with their investigations. Marnie is in her room and he knocks on the door. Come here, love. Have a look at this. But he just hears some muffled words and then a sharp, I'm on the phone. She's been off sick all week, gastro, running back and forth to the loo. The only time she's been out was to go to the chemist, and Alf didn't realise she was gone until she came home, wearing a big puffer jacket in spite of the heat, a white paper bag clutched under her arm. He got upset, saying she ought to have let him go for her, but she just said, it's embarrassing, Dad, and slammed the door to her room. He's really good. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm proud and glad of Liz. 
Once people find out what voiceover is all about, audiobook narration is all about, they kind of go, oh, that's actually a little bit more complex than I thought it was, and I'm now not sure. Yes. If they then do the things that I ask them to do, which is to do the free training I call, which is basically research. You listen, you develop an ear for what's going on out there wherever you hear the disembodied word, whether it is an audio book, whether it's a television commercial, something online, something you get delivered through your computer. If they do that work, the likelihood is that they're going to at some stage go, ah, I get Mm. it, I'm starting to get it. Because you have to be working at it from the inside. You have to know what the bones of it is before you start to apply your particular spin on it, you know. so I think that's a good point, and I remember reading that in an article you posted on LinkedIn. You're very generous with helping people, and you often post articles on LinkedIn for yeah. people who are interested, and you made that yeah. point that you have to know what it is you work on. So if you've never mm. seen an advertisement, it's hard to know how to read an advertisement. And I think that if you're interested in audiobook narration, you actually do have to listen to some audiobooks. You do have to listen to audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks over time, you know, a few here and there, especially when I had my place in the country. But it really wasn't until I started to train people in audiobook, I thought, I need to know more about the industry. Started to listen to books and then started to do them myself. So this whole amazing world opens up to you. So you can't hope to work in any area that you haven't made a study of. It just doesn't come off. You know, people are not out there saying, give us voices, Give we're looking for voices. Although they're always looking for new people yes. who are good and have something to say and something to offer. Audiobook training is very different from commercial training, which is really about looking at a script, which is very short, like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and understanding what the language is doing. And the language has been shrunk, and it's advertising copy, and it's designed to to psychologically capture you and seduce you and and convince you (laughs) that you have to do what the advertiser wants you to do. Audiobook is really about inhabiting a completely different world over a very long period. I listen to people reading, and when I train people, I get them to read for quite some time, and I think... I tuned out ages ago, now I'm just (laughs) bored. And I I say to them, are you still interested in what you're reading? What do you mean? I said, because it sounds really like you got really bored with it. So you're just reading the words, but I need you to tell me the story. Mm. It's your story. You tell me the story. You give somebody a first-person narration, they just read it like it's just reading words. It's never going to cut it. It just isn't. It's interesting what you just said about uh, the length of an advertising script, you know, mm. 15 to 30 seconds maybe, yeah. um, and you've got to sell in that time and you, you're engaged and you're on. The book I just completed recording, it was a psychological thriller, and for the first two hours, it's two characters who you later discover are the same character at different ages, but they have different names. So you mm. don't, you, at first you think they're two different characters. And for the first two hours, you really have no idea what's going on. And so it's the complete opposite. So you've got to set up attention so that people want to keep listening. And the other thing was that neither of these characters were particularly Mm likeable. And so there's a great skill then as a narrator to pique your interest and keep you hanging in there long enough to finally go, oh, I think I'm, oh, you know, and want to keep going on that journey. Because what makes an unlikable character likeable? You know, you have to find some kind of unseen... You have to create a charisma for the character that is unlikable. Mm. You know, you have to create a a dynamic for that character or a charisma that is likeable, whether they are unlikable or not. 
Yes, you have to create more than one dimension to the character. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're working with the VCA students, tell me about it. You know, is it easy to spot somebody who's got it, right? I've been doing it for about 20 years now. And it's interesting what you were saying earlier about when you're narrating a script, you know, you're not embodying it in the way that you are on a set or on a stage. And that's one thing I would see in the students. I see students who are very much in their body, in their physicality. And then I see others who are more cerebral and more interested in the ideas and stuff. And they're the ones who end up making the better readers. Traditionally, I've often found that the ones who end up being really good readers, they've got something else in their background that helps them. So like what? for a long time, the VCA tried not to take people straight out of secondary school. They liked people to have some life experience. Mm -hmm. So the students were often starting at the VCA in their early to Mm mid-20s rather than as um, new school leavers. And that meant that they had more of a maturity, but often they had things like a master's degree in English literature. Right, yeah. That could be very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Very helpful for this kind of work. And another common one was they often had all or part of a law degree. Mm, and I mm. often think there's something about the law and language that there's some kind of nexus there in law. You have to be very precise with language because an interpretation of law can turn on one word. Exactly. You know? But also, if you look at the realm of defence law, being a defence barrister, yeah. it's a performance. Absolutely. I've worked with Geoffrey Robertson QC, the mm-hmm, Australian mm-hmm, International mm-hmm. Human Rights Lawyer, and there is a frustrated actor trapped in a barrister's right, body, yeah. in my opinion, an incredible performance. And you see that when you see him on in the media. Sure. So those people often brought something else. They had something else in the way their mind worked that connected them to the language. It's really interesting how many people who are performers have had some sort of experience with the law or studying law or have been attracted to it. Because I think the deep analysis and the analytical mind around both law and the performing arts is very similar. You need to understand how people are driven psychologically Mm. and you need to like small detail. I mean, I think a person who likes small detail, if somebody describes that to me when I talk to them on the phone, I'm just such a details person, I go, oh, you're probably going to make a good voiceover artist just by default of you will know how to nuance a word. That's what it's about. I think that's possibly the lawyer-actor connection. Not sure. And also just to one last comment on this subject is that some of our really great comedian writer performers have a legal background. Charlie Pickering, Sean McAuliffe to name just two. So, yeah. On and on and on. Steve Vizard, you know, I can't think of them. I just yeah, there's lots, there's lots. So, when you're training students, what do they experience? Uh, What kind of work do you work with them with so that they can experience narration? Okay, so I work with them in third year. Yeah, where they're reaching the end of their studies, they're going to be industry professionals next year, going out into the world. But also, they've got sort of two years of rigorous training behind them, and during that time, they've done a lot of voice work. Uh, Most recently, Leith McPherson, our wonderful Leith, has been the head of voice there. Previously, Geraldine Cook, who's another wonderful, wonderful voice trainer. So I'm not trying to work with their voice as such. Maybe you do more of that. But I'm not trying to shift their voice or anything. I'm not saying you need to do this kind of voice. Mm. It's really about working with the microphone. And we begin with just getting them to listen to stuff. Now, Thankfully, in the last decade, with the increasing popularity of podcasts and audiobooks, they're much more likely to be active listeners. But 20 years ago, if I said to them, what do you listen to? They'd go, 
Uh, Telly, radio? Yeah, um, classic hits, rock and roll, radio, yeah, right, pretty much. Right. Yeah, yeah, music. You know, no one actually listened to spoken word stuff, yeah. but now they they can all name their favourite podcast. So that's great. But a lot of podcasts are really people shooting the breeze. There's not a lot of podcasts that are performative in the way yeah. that, you know, say audiobook narration voiceover is. So to begin with, open their ears to stuff and then microphone familiarisation, so just the basics of how a microphone works. I'm no physicist, so it's the very, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> physics for dummies version, but just mm-hmm. so they can understand how... Voice goes in there, comes voice out Voice goes in there, there, comes out the other end. And actually one of the important things about it I always stress is your voice goes in this end. At the other end, there is nearly always a sound engineer in any kind of professional environment, and I say their job is to help you and to make you sound good, they're your friend, do what they say. So even that just is a worthwhile thing to remember. And then it's just we do uh, different exercises, just reading stuff. The other thing they have to get used to is being alone in a small booth like this because, you know, the cohort in recent years has been between 25 and 27. So this mm-hmm. a big group of people mm-hmm. who are used to rehearsing and training and functioning as this group. Yeah. And when they're suddenly alone in a booth with no one else around and just a sound engineer mm. in the far distance on the other side of some glass, yep. it's quite alienating. And then there's the whole headphones thing. You know, people take a while to get used to headphones. Yeah, they so do, don't they? It's just building up their familiarity in their environment. And I say to them, look, you may not be interested in voiceover. You may not be interested in audiobook narration. You may not think you want to do commercial advertising. That's until I tell them what the rates are for yeah, commercial so advertising. Maybe I, go, maybe I will do some of that. <laughs> but I say any kind of working professional in film and TV will have to do ADR at some point where you overdub your words. So you come into a studio. The scene's been shot out near the airport yep. and you have to come into the studio because... EK408 to Dubai was taking off at the same time as you ran your scene. Right. <laughs> and they have to get so you ADR in. So ADR means additional dialogue recording. So yep. it's something that is done, you know, where they record something on set and there is a noise or they record something silently. Or, for instance, if they shoot a scene where the lead people are sitting at a cafe and they're sitting at a table having a conversation, all of the extras in the background will be told to just... Mouths. I'm mouthing things right now. And And so you will mouth, but you won't make any noise. And then additional dialogue recording actors in a studio will take care of that. And often that's called a loop Loop group. group, And they will be in there. There might be half a dozen people and they'll look at the scene and they'll say, why don't we do those, that couple over at that table? Or why don't we do those two girls chatting at the bar? And that's the way you do that. It can be quite Uh, fun. Yes. uh, People who do Mm. loop group love loop group. But um, the point is that... Any kind of working professional in this area will end up doing ADR at some point. Yep. And in ADR, you're, again, alone in a booth with a microphone and an engineer behind the glass. So even just having that familiarity then for doing that. Then you talk about animation and then the people who come to you go, oh, my God, funny voices. I want to do yeah, funny that's right. voices. Yeah, yeah, funny yeah. Voices. I think, you know, it's interesting what you said before about the voice. Acting training does not train people for the voiceover industry. It does a lot of voice training. And, and I just tell people pretty soon out of, and a lot of people keep focusing on that, so what kind of voice should I use? Just don't make it about your voice. Mm. It's about so many considerations before you start to make a decision about, hmm, how am I going to sound in this? Because it's about the technical medium of the microphone. So it's about pace, volume, energy, 
all kinds of different things about rhythm, but all the of those considerations go through the script. Mm-hmm. You know, it's first of all, what are these words on the page? What is the language? What's the language saying? And how are you going to present it? And especially when you're talking to people about character voices, everybody instantly wants to do a stupid character voice. Mm. But does it have any meaning? Mm. Probably not. It's just them doing a stupid character voice. Mm. Character voicing is the most complex of all of the voiceover technique, disembodied voiceover technique things, because it's usually not about the voice. It's about the ad. If it's the commercial air, it's about the ad. If it's animation, you know, you've shown a, a picture or a rendition of the character and the question is, does your voice look like it comes out of that character's mouth, you know? One of the things we do get with people who've done some voice work and that are maybe new to audiobooks is the struggle with the fact that we have to be on word and there's no ad-libbing and, you know, and sure. often people will rewrite in their brain as they go and I'll have to pick mm. them up and It'd say, be you, cha- if you, I changed this. Yeah, you changed that word. It's like, oh, but it would be better if it was this word. I often agree, but yeah. um, that discipline of being strictly to the word mm. for a book that can be eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours long. Absolutely. It is difficult to navigate the we will and he shall and to not want to do will and she'll. Well, and actually, I'll, I normally let the contractions go you through. You do let contractions go through. I actually think through. taking contractions normally help lift it off the page, that mm. old expression, which is really what we want yep. every script to do is lift off the yep. page. Unless I can see that it's to make an emphatic yep. or to load it somehow. Yeah. Or, you know, obviously if you're doing poetry, or something, something that's got some kind of meter or rhythm, you don't want to play with that. But I normally let contractions go through. Mm, Very good. I think the other thing that's difficult in audiobook narration is a he shed, she shed, he shed, she shed. The dialogue tags. The dialogue stuff. Have that, I, that have I not banged on about them before? I, I feel don't like know. I bang on about them all the time. Know. I hate them. If I had my way, they'd be cut yeah. because they really do take you out of the character, particularly yeah. uh, if you've got different characters speaking and you have settled into the flow of all those different voices and yeah. you, you can go between them, but then you have to keep going, he said, she said. Well, I always do it with a little bit of a comment from the narrator, whether it's first or third person, whether the he said is a is a, a response to what they just said, just subtly. I'm, I shrink it so it's quite quiet. Yes, I think that's a good idea. I don't like you, mother, he said. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's a little bit of a comment on, on it rather. It makes it a little bit more interesting for the reader too other than he said, she said. The other thing too is, of course, is if it's got an adverb in it, then you need to take that as a direction. So he said loudly, she said quietly. Yeah. Well, that often happens to me if I'm reading and I say, she said quiet, and I've gone... So, go back and so, pick that up. <laughs> yeah, get, hang on, back up, back up. I better do it yeah, again yeah. quietly, just like it instructs me to do. <laughs> not just you, Abby, not just you, most no, people. No. Yeah. So, look, I'm pleased to say that in the years that I've spent at the VCA, there have been some really good audiobook narrators who've come mm. out. Our good friend Edwina Wren, Stephen Phillips, Sibylla Bud, these are all people who were students of mine. Wow, Grant fantastic. Cartwright, Grant Cartwright does lots of audiobooks. Yep. And, and he got spotted pretty soon out of drama school and... He's made it a kind of bread and butter. Well, I had somebody come to my latest course who you'd recommended, who's done a few books here, Candice. Oh, Candice Miles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's another, fabulous. Another alumna. Yeah, Absolutely. that's right. Yep. She's, uh, She's Art Welsh, one of our favourite boys. There He's a student. So I'm pleased to say some of them do end up in the area. And it's mm. it's great for me to work with them and, 
and see them and, and get those new young voices, you know. And yeah, that's right. I'll come into Square and say to Marianne, we have to get this person in to audition. Yeah, They're fab, yeah. 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 So for, for those listening and who really think, oh, I'd like to be an audiobook narrator, what are your top five things that they should get started on before they consider auditioning? <laughs> As, as you said, just read every day. Yeah, read every read day. Aloud. Absolutely. Read, read, listen, aloud. Yeah, listen. read, yeah, yeah. Just because we can't it. say that enough. You know, no. unless you actually love the world, you can't hope to be in the world. Mm. You have to make yourself visualize yourself in the world. And doing that research and that work, it's not going to cost you any money. Well, it is maybe just a subscription <laughs> to Audible. But <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess gonna... the first of the five things I'd say: read, read, read. And listen, then listen, 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 and then record yourself reading mm. and listen back to you and be really rigorous in your thought process about how you've performed. Yes, and absolutely. What you might do differently. I've created a blog that I'm going to publish. And it's actually got a little audio narration test in it. So I've done what I would time as about six minutes of narration. It's got a little bit of character stuff in there. And I put it up there and I said, now, I've read it to six minutes all the way through. So it should take you 12 minutes to get it. If you make a lot of mistakes, time yourself. Read it at a good pace. And if you get to between sort of eight and 12 minutes and you've finished it and you've made a few mistakes but you've got through it and it's sounding pretty good, that's not bad. Anything more than that's going to be a little bit mm. tricky and you're sort of outside the line. But if you've read that between six and eight minutes and you've made a shitload of mistakes, it's probably not going to work for yeah, you because yeah. you may be reading it too fast. So I would oh, say... Oh, yes, yeah, slow down is slow the other down. one, slow down, yeah. And think about... What you're saying, it's your story. You're telling the story, even if you're a second, third person narrator, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, you've got to own the story. Mm. So do it like you're just making it up, mm. which means that you don't read from full stop to beginning of oh. the next sentence. You just you've got to thought, read yeah. it like you're yep. making it up. So basically I think if you can't read a paragraph without stumbling you might want to think about whether this is something for you. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that depends on the content. If it's something hard, obviously it's harder. But, you know, the best audiobook narrators, they can go for pages without stopping. Yeah, absolutely. Pages. Yeah. So if you're stumbling every few sentences or more than a few times a page, mm, you really want to put in some practice. If it is something you're passionate mm. about, I'm not mm. saying just drop it, but you really need to put in that reading yeah, practice. Yeah, Absolutely. So we're at the end of another one, Justine, it's been fantastic to talk to you about coaching. Well, likewise, I really hope that people find it useful, you know, and as ever, if people have suggestions for things they'd like to take up and discuss in more detail, mm. we're always happy to do that. Good to talk to you again. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to the audiobook podcast brought to you by Square Sound. If there's something that we haven't covered in our audiobook series that you'd like to know about, send us a message at studio.squaresound.com.au. The audiobook podcast was produced by Marianne Plaza together with Abby Holmes and Justine Sloan-Lees. With special thanks to all our guest speakers, Square Sound is an audiobook and podcast studio in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for listening.